The answer lies in the heart of battle. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Launch Fight. I am your host, Chris Chai, and with me is my regular co-host, Brian Lee. Hello. This is a podcast where we talk about entrepreneurship in Singapore and other random things that interest us. In today's show, we talk about being a better developer. What are the things that you do and, you know, what are the ways that you can carve out time of your very busy schedule in a startup to become a better developer? So, Brian. Yes. How are you? Uh, I am good. So, I sent you this article yesterday because mm-hmm. uh, I was reading it, like, how to become a better developer. Uh, for me, I learned programming from you and also from Kong. So, uh-huh. but the... When I see the way that uh, uh, my colleagues uh, are inside, the way they work, the way they code, right, they actually have the process for which I don't exactly have. So I thought, hey, I was reading up, then I sent it to you, and I thought, hey, this would be a good topic for today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I think this is something that um, I'm always trying to look out for, especially now that um, I have a couple of interns, John and Colin. Mm -hmm. So part of it is um, I want them to have practical experience working and um, fixing bugs or writing new features. But at the same time, I want them to always be curious about new techniques, new ways to write their code better because they can come to a stage where they are good enough to write an app, but... um, there are a lot more techniques that you'll learn and you get better at that makes writing apps easier, makes maintaining scalable code, stuff like that, that you don't necessarily learn when you learn how to code in a language. Mm. Uh, that's what I see in the problem in me also. That means if I were to uh, come up with a, a web app, a simple web app, like a, a block engine, right? I, I can do it, but... It's going to be very messy. It's going to be messy all around. And uh, uh, so I thought one thing to understand, what, what is the, how can I become a better developer in terms of making the code maybe more modular? And of course, mm-hmm. uh, some of the things that I wanted to ask is uh, following the articles is, uh, the article actually share five points. Like the first uh-huh. point is you don't need to learn every new thing in order to stay relevant. Uh, yeah, that's I'll, true. Yeah. So... Uh, so this is quite interesting because sometimes when I see new languages coming out, uh, I would tend to go and uh, read it and want to learn more. But uh, like two months later, another language will come out. So for example, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing... No, so I'm more proficient in Node.js. So if I want to do side project, I will use Node.js because uh, it's easier, right? It's quicker. I just spin up an Express uh, uh, app itself. Uh-huh. Uh, yep. But Go is very interesting also right now. Is the uh, Right after Swift, it is the second most popular discussed uh, or most stuck uh, repo in GitHub. Mm-hmm. The after which, there's the third one, which is also very similar to JavaScript, but it's by Microsoft. It's called TypeScript. Mm-hmm. So there are so many uh, languages uh, and there are so many, many exciting stuff. Sometimes... Uh, I don't know which one to go for. That's the first thing. The second thing is, then I start to ask myself, hey, 
Then instead of learning new stuff, should I take a deeper look into Node.js? Because uh, I'm certainly not super proficient in Node.js. Maybe I can look at the streaming or the event listener and whatever not. So what, what from your perspective, in terms of this, uh, like you do not need to learn every new thing in order to stay relevant, what are your thoughts? Especially for junior developers like me. Yeah, so I think especially when you're first starting out learning, like when um, I was teaching you, right, I did tell you that it's more important to understand the fundamentals of programming uh, before you really learn languages or a new language or um, too deep into a particular language. So what I mean by fundamentals in programming is things like um, how do you... uh, how do you do recursion? How do you do? How do you think about problems and break it down into smaller, uh, solvable portions? How do you think about object-oriented design and stuff like that? Where all these concepts really translate to many different languages, and ultimately, the only difference between different languages on a very simplistic level is the syntax, right? Mm-hmm. There are definitely ways that each language is designed to be better. So, like, say, um, Rails is designed to be very easy for you to um, scaffold code, build out things. Uh, it's got a lot of advantages, it's got a lot of gems. Um, JavaScript was kind of put together from, or rather, Node was kind of put together from uh, JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And this is great for people who are already familiar with it, and it has a lot more um, modern uh, designs in it, in that you can do a lot more real-time applications, stuff like that. It's built with that in mind. So yes, there are advantages for each kind of language or each kind of framework. But at the same time, if you're starting out as a programmer, right, it's very unlikely that you will need this kind of specialized um, capabilities at the start. And it's a lot better for you to really understand how these things work and how they work together in order for you to um, you know, be a better developer in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's... I, I think one of the things that you said is also uh, interest or rather uh, how, how cool do I think that language is or how, what is the thing that I'm going to learn? Yeah, so if you have to ask yourself like, hey, you know, what language should I pick up now or should I spend time picking up something in JavaScript or take a look at Ruby, think about what's exciting to you at this point because uh, at the end of the day, this is something you're going to learn. This is something that you want to try. This is something that you want to experiment with. And by by having that excitement, right, you will learn faster. You'll be more curious. And then it was, you, it will be this never-ending cycle of learning. Mm-hmm. And as long as you are excited and you want to figure out, oh, okay, yeah, this is really cool. This is something that I can uh, use or I want to understand. Then that will really motivate you to learn it instead of, hey, yeah, maybe I should just go through all the syllabus for this JavaScript course so that I know everything that I need to know for JavaScript. It doesn't really work that way. You will lose interest halfway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're, you're, you're right because yesterday night uh, I was going through this thought process of uh, interest. It's like, oh, maybe I should go deeper into JavaScript. Then, uh, then I thought, but as I read down the document, I become bored. <laughs> But uh, yeah. so the other language that I go and take a look that I thought oh maybe I'll hack up a small project on this that I got interested that I look more and more and what are the uh, app services that I can use to leverage on this uh, uh, language that I become more motivated to continue to learn that process. Yeah, so sometimes it can feel very overwhelming to mm-hmm. need to learn to every learn everything. So um, I 
quite a while ago, I came across this concept of just-in-time learning, where you pick up things that you need to use or you want to check out at that point of time. So you don't try to learn everything. Plus, if you don't apply it, you're also going to forget it anyway. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you apply just-in-time learning, right? Like, say, um, you want to create a chat app, then you can go uh, learn the streaming stuff, the uh, real-time socket IO or MQTT, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You can go check it out. And then if it fits your purposes, then you learn it. Yeah. So there are also advantages of learning other languages and other frameworks because even if you just take a very quick look at it and you understand just the basics of how things are put together, right, you can get a lot of inspiration of how they structure their code, how they structure their framework and how you can write better code in the language or framework that you are most comfortable with as well. Mm. Yeah. So I think... uh I like to understand the second point that the article actually mentioned, like writing good mm. code takes less time than writing bad code, but right. it doesn't yeah. necessarily feel that way. Uh, so actually for me, uh, right now, I still cannot determine whether is it a good code or bad code. But for me, uh, right uh-huh. now, as long as it works, the API comes in, I can, get, I can do a post, I can manage to put it into the database, it is a good code. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fine. So at different stages in your developer career, right, yeah. you will, every time that you look back at something that you wrote maybe a few months ago or a year ago, you'll be like, oh my God, this is terrible code. What was I thinking? <laughs> this is something that if you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't feel that way, right, that means you're not improving. Mm-hmm. Okay, so no matter what, you're going to write bad code when you first start out. It's going to take you a while before you write a new app and then you'll be like, yeah, that looks pretty good. And then two months later, you look at it and say, like, what was I thinking again? It's, it's this never-ending cycle, so don't worry about it. Um, as for why good code takes less time than writing bad code, uh, you know, how often have you like, asked for a feature or written a feature yourself and then you kind of at a stage where you just hack it together and you just push it out because it works, mm-hmm. right? But then... A few months later, when you want to improve it or you want to add another feature on top of it, right? You spend a lot more time trying to debug your old code or trying to change it so that it can fit your new requirements. Yeah, then, then, then I will regret it and say, ah, oh, initially I should have done this. Now it will be easier to add this in. <laughs> Correct. So even though you managed to hack out the feature in the first place, uh-huh. um, not thinking about future-proofing it, not thinking about what kind of bugs or testing it and stuff like that uh, in the start will end up being technical debt. Mm. So when you come back to it in the future and you look at it, you'll spend a lot more time trying to remember what you did, trying to remember why you did it, and then trying to fix what you did a few months ago. So instead of spending just that few hours thinking about how is the best way to do it and then writing it, you end up spending days in the future trying to fix it and then trying to implement your new feature. So there's this idea that um, if you spend the time to really think about it, really write it well, in the future when you come back, you just look at it and say, okay, yeah, I remember doing this. Uh, this, has the, this has really prepared for a new feature coming in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just to make some minor changes here. I don't need to worry about bugs because the tests really cover it. If I write a new feature and the tests fail, I know that something has gone wrong. So go back to the test and see what's wrong. So, like, these things help you save a lot of time in the future. 
Mm, test. That's something that I never written before. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. Because it took me a very long time to get to the point where I was ready to learn how to write tests. And now that I've learned it, right, oh my mm-hmm. god, everything is like, test this, fix this, test this. Do you write tests test first or do you write a quote first, actually? Um, I, I think it's an easier progression to write tests for code that you already have or you have issues with. Uh-huh. Uh, but ideally, you will want to go towards test-driven development. It's not always uh, easy to think about it that way. And in fact, I'm still trying to fine-tune that process. But yeah, right now, I still write tests after I've written the code. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. The next, the next one that uh, the artic- the article talks about, right, is uh, working twenty four seven doesn't does not make you a hero. Uh, managing expectation does. I think for me, this particular statement means sometimes uh, uh, if I want to dwell. So when I was learning uh, Objective C, uh, sometimes when I dwell too deep or I spend a lot of time in one area, for example, the block that you were teaching me, right, because it's asynchronous that period of time and I don't really understand it. Uh, even though I spend a lot of days on it, uh, sometimes it just doesn't work. Uh. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, taking a bit of break or moving away and coming back uh, sometimes does help. That's how I see this thing. Uh. But I don't know how would you think of this statement or with reference to this article, like, working 24-7 does not make you a hero. Well, yeah, so I kind of thought about this because also the example they gave is um, this guy, uh, whenever his boss or the client asked for a particular feature or something, mm-hmm. he would go for 40-hour marathons just uh, to get the feature out. Okay. And ultimately, like, people will praise you. Like, people will be like, wow, so fast. Uh. But you can't keep up this kind of high-intensity work sessions uh, indefinitely at some point you will get tired at some point you will completely burn out and when you burn out right Mm -hmm. you won't be able to perform at all Um, like the author says consistency is actually the key because if you can consistently deliver good quality Mm -hmm. and you can deliver it at uh, reasonable times people can rely on you but if sometimes you're really good and sometimes you just can't deliver at all, then that's when it becomes very uh, very hard to trust you as a developer to finish what you promised that you can finish. Oh, this part is like, uh, so how I see it right now after you have mentioned, right, is, um, you know, uh, last time I was in the Vitalon team, uh, so there are some friends, they can swim really fast for some period of time because they are on form uh, and sometimes they are off form and they cannot swim that fast and the coach in the end uh, did not select them as the top like team to go and compete because the key that he mentioned was the consistency because he cannot take the risk or so-called the risk that uh, sends you out into the competition field and you just happen to be off form I would yeah. rather take someone that is uh, might be slower than you when you as compared when you are on form but mm-hmm. his time is consistent and I know he will perform at this level yeah, exactly. So that's that's exactly it, right? So if you don't know your own limits and you don't manage your own time mm-hmm. and energy, it's very likely that you will burn out. It's very likely that you'll be stressed and you won't be able to work well with others. And when you look at your code, you will make a lot more mistakes. 
Mm. So working 24-7 is never something that people want you to do. Um, it is never something that you should do for an extended period of time. Yes, I know that sometimes in startup life, this is unavoidable. <laughs> but uh, you have to know that this is something that you cannot keep up. Mm. Indefinitely. Yeah. Another, another uh, going to the next point, uh, which is very close to it, is uh, mm. uh, not all time spent improving code has the same ROI. So I thought for this particular statement, um, how do you know when to refactor the code? So for example, uh, in a uh, block engine, there can be many modules of the code itself, right? And uh-huh. most of the time, how I see it is if the client or the user has no complaint, I wouldn't even come back to that code. Right, right. Yeah, so how do you know which part requires refactor or, uh, or will you make the effort to Maybe go to, uh, for example, Spear, uh, your pure post engine, right? Do, yeah. do you make the effort to like everyone go back and run through some of the stuff, or you use a, like what you say, a test to run through to improve the code? Okay, so uh, the ideal way you should be doing this is uh-huh. that immediately after you finish writing that code, right, uh-huh. you should go back and refactor it already, and then after you refactor it, then you make it you refactor it one more time to make it even better. So there is this phrase, or rather there is this kind of motto that uh, I think works really well. Mm-hmm. You make it work, then you make it right, then you make it fast. So what this means is that you make it work in the way that you expect it to first, mm-hmm. and after you go back and you refactor it to make sure that the way that you wrote it is mm-hmm. uh, it follows whatever conventions or whatever kind of design pattern that you want. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you go back and you make it even better to make it fast. You reduce like the number of lines of code, stuff like that. So it's in priority because if after you make it right and then you realize, oh, okay, there's another feature that it kind of need to work on, then mm-hmm. go ahead and work on that instead. And then uh, e- even if you miss out the make it fast part, it's fine. You know, you don't have to. It's not like super critical. And when you come back to it next time and you look at it, you're like, oh, okay, uh, maybe I can improve it a little bit more. Then you just finish up the make it fast part. Okay. Yeah. So for example, make it work, right? So for uh, when I do, uh, so I do the block engine and I make it work and I uh, push out the app, immediately uh, I push out the feature, immediately I will start to look at uh, what is going, how can I make it right, correct? Is that what you are saying? Yes, you should, because it is fresh in your mind. Uh-huh. Uh, you know what are the code parts that you have touched and where it is and you can look at it and say like, okay, uh, is this, maybe is this controller too big? Should mm-hmm. I start breaking it out into a different pattern? Stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Hey, sorry. So the, this is interesting because, uh, so now I bring back the uh, scenario, right, into mm. a startup life and yeah. uh, the developer, sometimes the teammate might be churning out, uh, like you say, uh, uh, not exactly bad code, but co- uh, code that, works uh, uh-huh. in time so that the feature can be launched yeah. um, but they might not have the time to come back how does a PM make sure that uh, not say make sure but how does a PM make sure that the developer uh, goes through this motto like make it work make it right make it fast okay. it doesn't necessarily so, to be fast but what's the role from not a developer but a PM, PM role 
Yeah, so that's absolutely uh, something that you need to think about when you're running a tech company. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that I've started to implement over the last few months, right, is this idea that um, as the PM, as the product manager, as the project manager, I need to really decide what's going to come out in the release for this month, say, if you're mm-hmm. doing monthly release. Mm-hmm. And then in there, what I do is that um, I have a set number of things that I want in the roadmap and I make sure that there's enough time for the developers to do some engineering mm-hmm. or do some bug fixing. Or even then, right, um, you will have a list of all the bugs that you have encountered in the latest release, right? Mm-hmm. And some of these are minor, some of these are critical. I will limit myself to picking only seven of these bugs to be fixed in the coming release. Oh, why seven? Oh, magical number. Uh, <laughs> Not five. Kinda, oh, yeah. You can, you can pick whatever it is that uh, you feel the team is comfortable with. Okay, but okay. The idea is that um, you have a set amount of bugs that they need to do and maybe one or two features that they have to finish for their release. The rest of the time is up to them to either improve more code or uh, do other engineering stuff that they kind of want to do, but it won't be um, visible to the client. The reason why I split it up this way, right, mm-hmm. is that bugs are something that people have seen, and it would be good to change it so that it works in the way that you know they expect it to. Mm. A new feature is something that the salespeople can talk about. It's something that the client will see like, hey, it looks like they are making an improvement here. And then the engineering side is paying off the technical debt that you have incurred so far. Uh-huh. Yeah, so as a PM, right, you need to have this structure where you have time for them to go in and pick what they want to do and then improve it for that particular release. You can't just overload that with more and more and more features. You have to learn how to structure it and time manage it for them. Mm. I, I think we need the episode of the project management room because uh, I, I do have a few more questions, especially coming from... Uh, non-technical product manager point of view, but that's another episode altogether. Um, yeah, sure. I've got a perfect article for that that I recently read, or oh, was shared to me by a friend. And oh. I've started the, that's the technique that I've applied. It's from user voice. So yeah, I would love to talk about that. Okay. Oh, that article, you have to send it to me later. <laughs> so um, the fifth point that, uh, that, which is the last point of the article that we read, right, is to, mm-hmm. Uh, schedule downtime to make you more productive. Uh, this I, I totally agree with it because, uh, like, which is very close to the third point, like working twenty seven does not make you a hero. It's the same because your productivity will just go down when you get sunk into a hole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, we have limited energy. Uh-huh. We have limited like brain power essentially. So. It's very important to know where your limits are, to know how you work best, and mm-hmm. you know just just take a break when you need to. You go for a run, go exercise, go read a book, or go uh, paint a picture if you're into painting. You know, it's the kind of thing where you need to relax. You need to um, just take your mind off of the work, so that when you come back, you're fresh, mm-hmm. and you can look at a problem in a different way. You can look at a problem and say like, okay, yeah, here's the solution, and yeah. even then. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I wanted to say that where the point where you suggested to read a book, right? Please do not read a technical book again because <laughs> <laughs> you should read something out, out, out of what you are doing, right? To, to open up your mind. Yeah, yeah to relax okay. your mind, to just do something else because 
it's just not productive, passes at the point. So actually I have a few takeaway uh, from, from this, uh, especially coming from uh, a very junior developer point of view, right? Is uh, I do not always need to learn new things, but if I want to learn, it has to be something that interests me. Uh, that's the first that I learned. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the second point that I, uh, that I learned, and I think that motos work very, very well, is uh, make it work, make it right then make it fast. I think yeah. this is, uh, this actually helps me to guide whether which part uh, and when to refactor and uh, to make it in a good code itself. And of course, the last one is all about uh, making myself more productive. Not necessarily, not necessarily through working throughout the day, but more to have uh, time breaks in between. Yeah, Are you still practicing the 25 minutes thing that you were doing? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, the Pomodoro. So, uh, well, not so much nowadays because I have not had time to code this week, especially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I'm in, when I am sitting down and I'm working on a particular uh, problem or anything, I do use the Pomodoro technique, which is twenty-five minutes work and then five minutes break. Mm. Yeah. So I find it very useful because then it, uh, one, it gives you time to. Uh, just jump out, take a break, do some pull-ups or whatever in the office, mm-hmm. and then um, come back and look at your code again. And also, it helps you keep track of how much time you're spending on the problem and whether or not you know you need help with it. Uh, I actually have last 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 question. Oh, the mm. article. Do you have a time tracker for your programming? Like for example, for personally, personally, or for your uh, contractor, or do you have? I, I read before that some people have time tracker like they they'll turn on like uh, 45 minutes then they will only do this feature or something like that um, yes so for myself I do it because I need to keep track of how long features or how long bugs usually take to be solved so I can kind of estimate in the future but this is from a PM point of view oh um, doesn't but that feel very stressful it's like oh, I'm running against really. the clock <laughs> Not really. Like, I don't treat it as, you know, um, this is this is the time that I need to finish it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of more of um, how do I estimate in the future how long it took me to solve a similar problem. Mm. Yeah, so uh, that's kind of how I think about it. Um, as for contractors, if they're working part-time, you don't really have a choice. Mm. It's t- tied to how they're paid, so usually you will have some sort of uh, timer to track them. I think we... we also need to talk about handling contractors but uh, because I know you are handling some but we can leave it for mm-hmm. more uh, yeah we have a lot to talk about <laughs> <laughs> so yes uh, I think that's for this week uh, so for those uh, we will share this all on the show notes uh, I think the most important stuff for me that I took away uh, out of the three that I learned is uh, make it right make it work and make it fast and uh, it's easy yeah, to remember man. this thing that's awesome. Okay, great. So, Brian, where can we hear more about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at L-E-E-T-U-C-K-S-I-N-G. And you can find me on Twitter as well at A-N-T-T-Y-C. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, looks like we're getting more consistent with our shows. Yay. Yay. All right. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.